if you don't have personal holiness down, you will never be effective in ministry, ever. You may do a lot of stuff, but you'll have no effect that has eternal implications. Please understand the difference. We in our mindset today in America, we in this body of people believe that if you're effective, then your numbers will be produced. All right? That is not what the Bible teaches. Do you hear me? Jesus himself says broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal salvation. Right? And you understand that in that text, he's not talking to lost pagan people. He's talking to religious people. But he says there's many people on the path of religiosity who have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I do not have a personal goal in my heart for personal holiness, then you really need to question your salvation. Okay? You really need to question whether you're saved or not. Because it's not a matter of me being in a prayer ministry, in a Bible teaching ministry, or teaching, or Sunday school teacher, or what am I doing in my community. The issue is, am I a living sacrifice presented to God who saved me of a life of holiness and purity? That's the essence of Christendom. And if we're not doing that, then you need to back up and find out whether salvation exists in your life. The Apostle Paul began in chapter 8 on what I look at as the gray areas, the areas in life that the Bible doesn't say yay or nay in. His topic is concerning things sacrificed to idols. And he explained it. And he shared his heart with it. He says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And now I see that word edify, I think about strengthening. Love literally will lift people up out of the quagmire of life. Okay? In, verse nine, in chapter 9, he uses himself as a personal illustration of sacrificing rights, sacrificing privileges, knowing that he's free in Christ, but I'm willing to sacrifice these things for the sake of the gospel. Then in verse 15 through the end of the chapter, he shows the limits of this freedom and the priorities that motivated him in this freedom. And in verses 16 through 18, we see that he was under compulsion and he was doing it for a reward. He literally understood that by not receiving money for the proclamation of scriptures, that it was a sacrifice that he did not have to do, but his love for the Lord was such that he wanted to do it, i.e. he is literally adding to his ministry. Okay, yes, I understand emphatically that ministry is not achieved, ministry is received. But Paul looked at his ministry as a gift from God, and what can I do in my ministry to make it better that would be on my account, that I did it. And part of what he did was he didn't take money for preaching of the gospel. Okay, why? He understood that he was under compulsion. Okay, he knew that his bones would blow up if he didn't. Okay, but then we began last week to look at verses 19 through 27. 
Okay, and it's to the lost. All right, so what he understood is, is that I have to have a mindset. The mental part of it is self-denial. Okay, Paul looked at the ministry as the single greatest impact, the single greatest emphasis in his being. There is nothing more important in life, Paul looked at it that way. Why? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Okay, think about that for a second. Every one of you in this room have the possibility of affecting the eternal destiny of people. Do you ever think about that? Uh, have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? See the, the heads on the wall? Okay. Or down maybe Stone Mountain, Georgia, where you can see the ones who lost on the wall. <laughs> okay. You see these things and these are memorials. Let me explain something to you about these memorials, these landmarks. They're going to be utterly and absolutely obliterated. They will never be seen. They will not last forever. Do you know that? That's amazing. That's amazing. They will not last forever. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this, and, and he uses a metaphor in this text on athletics. Um, I went back uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I played running back, and I had single game record for most yards rushing. Okay, one game I had 402 yards of rushing. Okay, now that's a lot of running. Okay, and my coach at that time and uh, the superintendent of school says, we don't believe that that record will ever be broken. Okay, um, I was back in September, all right, uh, and so I went down to my old high school and it doesn't exist anymore. That building is gone. So I thought, well, they would have taken the record board and moved it to the new high school, right? So whether that record stood or not is, I don't know. Why? They don't keep records anymore. Why? Politically correct, you don't want to sort of make people sad. I don't know. Do you see what I'm getting at? Have you ever thought about being involved in eternal destiny of a person? I think about you kids who are in school. Do you know that you can, literally can affect the eternal destiny of your, of your classmates? You will, can impact their lives forever. Co-workers, you who work, you can affect their lives for eternity. All right, how do we do it? And we looked at this in verses 24 through 27 is what I'll look at. But we looked at it because Paul in verse 23 made this statement. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may be a fellow partaker of it. I can be a co-sharer of the gospel. And he shared three kinds of people. You have the religious people. You have those who have no religious understanding. And then you have those who are weak. They may have a religious understanding, but they're just weak in their faith. And he says, everything that I do... I do on the basis of those three individual groups of people. Why? That I may gain some. So two of the groups you're looking at salvation, but one group you're looking at strengthening. 
equipping them. Okay, I think about the guy who was a doctor and he was doing in Russia and it was during the communist reign and he was doing, um, he came to salvation. And, and he had a, all he had, and he was in Siberia, each doctor in, the, in communism had to spend a six month stint in Siberia and in the gulags, uh, the political prisoners were, and he would, you would have to spend um, six months there and you basically was the, the camp doctor. Well, he was up there doing his turn. He'd come to salvation and he knew that it was dangerous, but he had a copy of the gospel. And I don't remember if it was Matthew or Luke. But he had a copy of the gospel. That's all he had. Okay. And he never shared his faith. Because you could go, to, you could go from working in the gulag to being an eternal member of the gulag. Okay. And so he didn't share his faith. And one day a, a man came in very gravely ill. And for whatever reason, this man shared the gospel with this guy. And this guy asked for salvation. Okay, and he was thrilled. He watched God literally. He, he made it. And in the book that I read, he said, "I literally seen darkened eyes become light." He went back to his room. They had found his copy of the gospel, and they executed him the next day. He shared his faith one time, and it cost him his life. But the guy that he shared his gospel with who came to salvation is now the director of all the Baptist churches in Russia. Okay? How big an impact did that doctor sharing his faith one time have? Yuri Spinko was the guy laying on the bed. About dead. And Yuri Spinko, you guys who were here a couple weeks ago when we showed that video, that was Yuri Spinko speaking on the Antioch Initiative. Okay, one doctor saved his life, or saved his soul. All right? How do I do this? Okay, listen, I understand all the, the, the dynamics, okay, of... God's sovereignty, God's working through me and the life of grace and working of grace and all. I understand that. I understand it completely. But I want us to look at this because I would say that you came out today with a mindset for the things of God. Your brain, your mental state is that I am more concerned about the things of God. All right? All right, what do I do with that? Well, self-denial is my mental state. Self-control is that external state. Okay, That's the thing that I am responsible for. Right? It's important if you're going to limit your freedom, uh, it's going to be a discipline, okay? a life discipline. You're going to have to say no to some things that your body wants to do. Okay? Here's the Christian life. Okay, anybody here, we read Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 and it says, you who are spiritual, okay, and then you can't run into a Christian who doesn't want to be spiritual. I would prefer to be the spiritually mature, okay. One of my great heroes said this, okay, this is Robert Murray McShane, quote, a life lived 
by the wishes of other people, unquote. Now, do you still want to be spiritually mature? Who has charge over your life? Everybody. Okay, is that what you want? It takes a mindset that says, this is what I shall have my king. Okay, you're going to have to cut out some of the things. You're going to have to have self-denial. I would state McShane this way. I'm not the most important person. They are. And who is they? Anyone who is not me. When you feel good, when you feel bad, when you feel healthy, when you feel unhealthy, when you feel it's too hot, it's too cold, I'm too tired, I'm too awake, I'm too da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I deny myself. Why? What's the most important thing? Paul said it is the gospel. Out of self-denial, then I will be willing to have a discipline on myself. Look at verse 24. He makes this statement. He uses, beginning in 24, he uses an athletic metaphor. Verse 24. Do you not know? Okay. Hey, Corinthians, you know this is what he's literally saying. Why? There was two games, sporting events, major global sporting events, as they would know civilized humanity. One was what you know today as the Olympic Games, and they were always held every four years in Athens. Well, Corinth didn't want to be left out. They had what was known as the Isthmian Games, and they were held every three years. And so when he says, do you not know? He's basically saying, you are very much aware of this. Okay? Why? Since Alexander the Great, Athletics has dominated and even to date dominates the Greek society. Okay? It's the single focus of what is going on is, is, is this. All right? I shared with you that the Corinthian games were held every three years. The Isthmian is what they were called. Okay? To get into the Isthmian games, to get into the finals where you could compete before all the crowds, you had to prove 10 months of daily training. In whatever event you were in. You had to prove that. The last 30 days, all of the athletes would come together and they would attend the public gym together every day. When I was over in Israel, one of the things that I kept marveling at were these great gymnasiums that were built during the the Greek and the Roman empires where men would come in and they would work out and lift weights. They had saunas and steam rooms and all the rest of the stuff, swimming pool, lap pools, the whole nine yards all over the place. And this was the big thing. After they had fulfilled the 10 months of daily training, 30 days, then they could compete. Whatever the event was, if you were the winner, you would receive a wreath. All right. In Corinth, you received in the Isthmian games, you would receive a pine wreath. Okay, different from that in, in Athens. And the winner was basically immortalized. Okay, all the Greeks would know who they were, and they basically could get a free ride through life the rest of their life. If you won. Sounds like today, doesn't it? I got my picture on the Wheaties box. Okay, and you've been immortalized. Until they eat the Wheaties and 
you're out. The winner, I, this, this was the highest honor that the humans could give him. So when he makes that statement, do you not know, he's basically saying, you are very much aware of this. Then he goes on. Those who run a race all run, but only one receives a prize. Okay, there's one winner. The given event, you got one winner. In Christ, in the Christian life, the prize is open to everybody. Did you know that? Think about this text. In light of this, what you're seeing here, this metaphor he's laying out, think about this verse out of Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we will walk in them. Okay? He's already got a contest for you. He has an event for you. It is specific for you. Not only that, He's given you the training for it. He's given you the power for it. He's given you the passion for it. He's given you the heart for it. It's already there. Every single person in this room has a race that they are going to run. And the Corinthians and us, some of us, are so busy grasping our rights as the Corinthians, that we are literally losing our prize. Do you ever think about that? Instead of gaining the prize, which is technically winning souls and strengthening the weak, these Corinthians were grasping at their rights. This is a right to me. This is a privilege to me. And along the way, they're losing the prize of being able to win souls. Think about that for a second, because you've got to ask yourself a question. Do you believe in this body of believers, is there anybody with the gift of evangelism? Absolutely. Are we winning souls? Please, if you think that Castle Rock Baptist Church is just stuck here and we're not doing anything but waiting for the great catching up, Okay, and we're here not for the moving of souls, then you haven't read my Bible. If we're not winning souls, then ask yourself a simple question. What's my mindset? Have I mentally said I will deny myself for the sake of the lost? And then ask yourself the second question. Have I disciplined myself physically as an athlete would for a competition? Do you ever think about that? That's a picture that's being painted here. Now, I understand that this started out on things offered to idols. And Paul says, you know what? Idols, yeah, fine. I understand that. But he says, you know what? I'll never eat meat again if it causes somebody a problem. Okay, now think about that. Just take that picture and move it to where you're at in your life. You have relatives, loved ones who are lost, who do not know Jesus Christ. Co-workers who are lost, who do not know Jesus Christ. Maybe you guys in school have kids that don't know Jesus Christ. And you have been brought into their life for what purpose? Just to pass on by? Is that your purpose? See, the Corinthian church was literally cutting off their testimony. They were cutting off their ability to bring along a weaker brother to a position of strength. 
You know, I think about the guy who shared the gospel one time. Okay? I believe he will have a greater glory in heaven eternally than John MacArthur. Why? Think about it. He was obedient to God but one time. He was created in Christ Jesus for what? Works that God had already planned so that when I tear down the wall of communism, I've got my man in place to literally take it across 12 time zones. But I need this doctor to share. And the doctor did. Okay, Yuri made that statement. He said, I'd give anything to have half the crowns that he had because he only shared once. Who gets the glory out of it? Who gets the glory out of it? God did. No man can touch that. Okay? Too many today, you see these quote-unquote big ministries. Now, I'm not implying that with Dr. MacArthur. But you see these big ministries, who's taking credit for it? They are. Now, listen, I'm not saying they're not working but you know what God says? You have your reward. And guess what? The reward was given to them by men. All right, now I want you to understand something. The prize here, this race he is talking about, has nothing to do with salvation. Okay? Who saves people? Okay? But through what vehicle does God save people today? To change lives. To change lives. Listen, there is no greater miracle on the planet earth than the transformation of a lost soul to the kingdom of God. That dwarfs raising the dead. I don't care if you could go to a cemetery, every cemetery, and get every one of them up. It can't compare to taking a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, to taking that as blind, naked, ungodly, haters of God, seek not after God, cannot please God, enmity to God, and take that position and say, you stand as a child of me. Do you not understand that? I don't care what you do. You get cancer and get instantaneously instantaneously healed. It can't compare to the conversion of a soul. Moving it from darkness to light. And every single one of you have somebody in your lives right now that God has brought that you have that ability. Listen, everything that a Christian does can be done better in heaven. Right? Ask yourself, can you worship better here or in heaven? Huh? We're afraid to answer? Okay. Uh, take, my, take mine. Can I sing better in heaven? <laughs> now there's a miracle, right? All right? There's only one thing you can't do better in heaven. Reach the lost. You can't reach the lost in heaven. I know some people right now who are in heaven. You know what? They can't reach the lost. Paul says, I want to win men to Christ. So I will run as hard 
and as diligently as an, and as rapidly as it will take me to win that prize. Okay, that was Paul's motive. Okay, remember what it's, we're looking at. We're looking at Christian freedom, its priorities. One, the gospel. Two, to the lost. Okay, look what he says here. All right, run in such a way, verse 24, run in such a way that you may what? Place? God's not working on trifectas. God wants victory. He wants the win. God's going to get it. Look what he says in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. All right? Everyone who competes. um, Again, it's that athletic metaphor. uh, Run. Uh, King James says is intemperate, um, is is temperate or self-control. All right? What that means is that I'm in this competition and I'm not going to do anything to break my training rules. Okay? If you exercise, if you participate in athletics, you know how this works. If, if the doctor has said, you know what, you need to do this and this and this, or you're going to die tomorrow or something like that, uh, you go out and do it. You get on your treadmill, stairmaster, sit-ups, pull-ups, whatever it is God tells you have to, or the doctor tells you you have to do, you go out and do those things. Quit smoking or are you going to die? Start smoking because you're going to die. I don't know. Whatever is going on, you just do it, right? Um, if you've ever played athletics... I played fast-pitch softball. I played slow-pitch uh, slow softball and football. But probably my greatest athletic endeavor was climbing. And I think about some of the stupid things that I did to prepare for climbs that to this day I just sit and go, what was I thinking? I used to live on a fourth-floor um, fourth apartment, okay? And I moved to Colorado to climb. And when we got ready to do a climb, what I did is I had a pack and I would load that bugger up with weights, free weights. And I'd put it in my car and I'd go to work. And when I'd come home from work, I'd put that pack on and climb four stories to get to my apartment. Okay, and then in the morning I'd get up and have my little breakfast, get ready to go to work. I'd put that pack on and climb four stories down. And I'd keep increasing the weights. And I usually started six to eight months depending on the climb. Uh, And I did this every day. For six to eight months. And that didn't include the other goofy things that I did. Okay? Um, You ever seen them hand things? Oh. What was I thinking? Okay? Our goal was to take the strongest spring ones and squeeze it enough that you could break it. You had to break it before you climbed. Fatigue the spring enough that it broke. So how often were you doing that thing? A lot. Okay? I mean, you'd be talking on the phone business sitting there doing this. With your hand going like that. Your arm's about to side. You look like Popeye. Okay? Why do we do that? Okay? If you exercise in athletics, you know how that's what I'm talking about. If, you, if, if the doctors put you on a place or if you're... Some, some people are just exercise fanatics. Okay? Here's what Alexander the Great said. Two kinds of people in the world. Those who have self-discipline and those who don't. Unquote. Hmm. Pretty amazing considering he conquered the known world. And one of the things that he taught, uh, was taught, was self-discipline. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 23, we see fruit of the Spirit is what? 
Self-control. It's the root word. Self-discipline. Same root word. Okay? One of the philosophers who tutored Alexander says, those who are self-disciplined are those who will rule the world. Okay? Discipline for the goal. Everybody who runs to win has self-control in what? In all things. I mean, you watch your diet. You watch da-da-da-da, whatever. How much sleep do I get? How much of this do I get? All right, think about it. We take that same metaphor when it goes to work. When I go to work, I have to do this and this and this and this so I can accomplish what? Get my five-year pen, get an attaboy, get a raise, what? What? It takes self-discipline. You can't succeed unless you're willing to pay a price. And the more you succeed, you pay a higher price. You deny yourself, you control yourself. What do I eat? What do I sleep? What do I exercise? What? It becomes a lifestyle. Let me ask you a question. Did the Apostle Paul have a lifestyle of self-denial? Did the Apostle Paul have a lifestyle of self-control? He didn't have it on the Damascus Road. But he did change it. If you're going to win... Okay? It used to be in our society that athletes were some of the most disciplined people in the world. And you know why they did it? It's an ego factor. It's an ego factor. People will discipline... Today, people will discipline themselves for their ego's sake. Self's sake. Why? I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to do it. Whatever. You know what's amazing? In this metaphor he gives us, they are willing to do that and all they were going to get is a pine wreath. Okay? What are you going to get? What do you discipline yourself that you may get? A letter on your letter jacket? What are you going to get? A raise? A letter of commending you in your file? What are you going to get? An extra week's vacation? A bonus? What? What are you going to get? What are you self-disciplining yourself? And what is the purpose of it? And what is the reward that is motivating you behind that? That's what the Apostle Paul is hitting the Corinthians with. He's saying, you know what? These people here, you know the athletes. You've seen it around you. You know what's going on around you. And they're going to get an old pine wreath that within six months, they'll have this thing that is bent and it's got no needles left on it. Right? It's like going out and buying a Christmas tree. But we Christians, Peter says, we have an inheritance. We have something that is incorruptible. We have something that is undefiled. We have something that is unfading in its glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 5, verse 4. And we are striving for an incorruptible crown. It is an unfading crown. Do you understand that? An unfading crown. It is a crown that you can take your hands and put it all over it and it won't have tarnish on it. You ever seen that? You've got to clean your jewelry. Right, Christ, the kid put his hand on the silly thing and what has it got? It rusted right through the little bugger. I am striving for a crown, Peter says. Paul says, I am striving in a race that I will receive a reward that moth and rust can't touch. It is incorruptible. It is unfading. 
And ask yourself, what is it you're striving for? You know what is amazing about it yet? Even more than that? The thing that just... Now, this is just me. Okay, this would be my opinion. Who's going to give it to you? You ever thought about that? Have you ever understood that? I got a medal for most yards uh, in in a single game. I can't even tell you where it's at. But the superintendent of the school district, we had this big banquet and you walk up and stand there kind of goofy and they hang this thing around your neck and everybody claps and you feel like you're King Tut. Do you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting for your presence so that He can look you eye to eye and say, well done, true, faithful? Servant. That's bizarre to me. I, I I don't grasp that at all. If I'm going to receive this reward, if I am going to win, it is a combination of winning souls, strengthening souls. Setting a goal and going after it. I mean, that's basically what it is. If a man can submit himself to such discipline to win a pine wreath, if a man can submit himself to win a gold medal, maybe a bronze statue, I was watching some college football and we're talking about the Heisman Trophy, Uh, maybe a star on the Walk of Fame. Think about it. What should a Christian do to win a crown that can never fade away? Think about what we go through to gain a reward. Strenuous self-control for the athlete for a fleeting reward. Listen, this portion right here is a serious rebuke to what I call the half-hearted, out-of-shape Christians. Why do we not control ourselves for the ends that are literally meaningful? Paul says, If I can watch a guy discipline himself to win a pine wreath, just watch me discipline myself to win somebody to Christ. That's what Paul's metaphor is. You know, I think about our Olympics. You win a gold medal. Okay, that's cool, all right? But you know what? Where I'm going, we walk on that. The streets are paved with gold, so you got a gold medal. So you got a piece of pavement around your neck. Paul says, I'll cut out anything in my life that stands in his or her way of coming to Jesus Christ or the strengthening of a saint who's already there. Listen, let me give you a little illustration. An athlete can eat a chocolate sundae before he runs his 100-yard dash, can he? Is there a law that says he can't? No. He does have that privilege, right? He has that right. You know, I've got a race in about an hour and a half, but that chocolate sundae looks good. I think I'm going to have one. He can do that. She can do that. 
Okay, if he doesn't sacrifice that right and that privilege, is he headed for trouble? Okay, to eat that chocolate sundae, it, it isn't wrong, is it? But it's not real smart. It lowers efficiency. Athletes that deny themselves from many, many lawful things, pleasures, many rights, so that they can have a perishable reward. So must a Christian. Look at verse 26. Therefore, he's going to summarize this. These guys are running to receive a perishable wreath, but we have imperishable. Verse 26. Therefore, running away. Now, this is where it kind of confused me because I kept thinking I was in a race, but now he's talking about boxing. What's up with boxing? You don't run and box. I mean, you do. I mean, if I was going to get in a boxing ring, I'd be running more than I'd be boxing. But here's what he says. Therefore, I run in such a way, um, depending on your translation, it may say with, not without aim or uncertainty, but I box in such a way as not beating the air. Okay? Um, he says, I know where I'm going. I know where my point is. All right? If I'm, I'm not doing it, I'm not just flailing in the air. I know what, uh, there's a certainty to what I'm going to do. I know what my, the goal is. I know what the boundaries of this track, this race are. I know how to get to the goal. All right? And if you don't know where the goal is or what the boundaries of the track are, guess what? You're going to be all over the place. You will have no rhyme nor reason. Okay? You know what? Odds are you won't even be able to run. All right? You may not even be able to walk. Why? I don't know what the goal is. I don't know how to get there. If I don't know what the goal is, I don't know how to get there. I don't know what the boundaries are. So I wonder today how many are just crawling? Hebrews chapter 12, let me take you back a few years. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, that comes out of chapter 11. All of these men and women, normal men and women, who by faith God did way more than they ever dreamed. We have this cloud of witness. Let us also, also, you know what that means? They did. Let us also. Why? Because they did. We've seen what they did. Let us do that also. Lay aside what? Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Entanglements is just that. Things that tie me up. That just tangle me up. You wouldn't want to run a hundred yard dash in a trench coat. So take it off. A man with no goals, a man who has no bounds to the track, will run with no effort. Did you know that? I run with no effort. That's why I like treadmills. Treadmills motivate you. Why? You can't just stop. Because if you just stop, everybody says, what were they thinking? Okay? But you also have a clock on there. You've got a thing on there that may do calories or something to this effect. Or all these little gadgets, bells and whistles. I don't know if they're accurate or not, but they gave me incentive. You know, I try to run. I like to be able, I started out some time ago, but I, I like to be able to do a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half. And I like to do it between 10 and 13 minutes. 
It's not that great a race. I don't care. It is when you're my age. And it's, it is definitely when I, you, I hate running. I think it ought to be outlawed. But then they say you can walk. Well, I don't want to walk that much either. So I'll get on here and I'll run for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But I like to, to pace myself. Why? I have a, a, a goal. I have a track. I understand what I'm doing. See, Paul is saying, I know the goals. I know the boundaries of the track. I know where I need to do that I can win the loss, that I can strengthen the weak. And for me to do that, it's going to take self-control. And it will come right out of self-denial. Why? Self-denial, the mind says, I know what I'm here for. I have a purpose. I know my purpose. I need to accomplish this. I guess the question is, will we set aside... Anything that stands in the way. This will be the positive side of it. I know where I'm going. I'll pay the mental effort to pay the price to get this thing. The mental effort to kind of set it up. But he brings out kind of what I look at as the negative. He says, I'm going to fight something here. While I'm running, Paul's saying, I have an opponent who wants to keep... Me off the track. So, when I'm running and this opponent wants to keep me off my track, here's what I'm going to do. Take aim and knock them out. That's the text. I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I like that. You know what he's saying? I am not shadow boxing. Okay? I'm sparring. I am not beating the air. I am making contact. I know the opponent, and I'm going to flatten him. Why? I'm going to win. And if he gets in my way, I'm going to knock him out. Who's the opponent? Verse 27. My body. What's he going to do with his body? I'm going to make it my slave. Even if I have to knock it out, I'll make it my slave. It says discipline. I discipline my body. King James says, uh, I keep it under my body. You know what the little Greek term is? Black its eye. I will bruise it. I will bruise my body to make it my slave. So there's a mental toughness. And then there's that pound on that body to keep it under control. You know what? I thought about this and common sense. If you look at good athletes, they have two things that are going on. What are they? Physical and Mental. You ever heard him talk about athletes? He has or she has a mental toughness. Okay? 
They have a mental... You know, I think about when I was climbing, uh, we talk about degrees of difficulty, and it, they, they rate them, all right? But there was one that, they, that only really good climbers ever talked about and that you never heard about. You, know, you didn't hear about it. You would look at a piece of, of, of rock, of, of granite, and you would say, what is its rating? And they'd say 5'9", 5'12", whatever it is. And then here's the question that good climbers would ask after that. What's its exposure? Okay? Because exposure is the mental side of it. Okay? I remember doing the diamond on Long's Peak. And I knew that it was 512 from top to bottom. Okay? But about halfway up the thing, I realized it exposure. Okay? You knew it was a difficult climb. But I was hanging on this, it was, they call it a hanging belay. And you got some protection in it. you got a harness on and you're tied to the rock. And you don't really have anything to sit on or stand on. And the other guy's climbing and you're just belaying him and they're going up like this. And all of a sudden I noticed that I wasn't touching the rock. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And then also I noticed when we were hauling up our water and stuff, he would haul it up. I'd hook it up and he'd haul it up. And then I'd climb up from behind him. That it was out away from the rock about that far. And then it dawned on me, this bugger has a lot of exposure. Okay, what does that mean? Visually, my brain starts saying, this thing is more than 90 degrees. Because a rope will hang straight up and down with a weight on the end of it. They call it a plumb line. This thing was hanging out there away from it. I had been hanging out away from it. And all of a sudden, exposure hit. Okay, and your brain says, what are you doing? You took a week's vacation for this? You know what the next thing it wants to slide in is? Fear. But you are, at that point in time, I was about 900 feet off the deck. And it's just not a good place to be. I'm ready to go down now. (laughs) It just kind of don't work that way. Paul says, can we say this? I will control my body to do what I want my body to do. Okay? There's many today, I believe, that are controlled by their bodies. Their bodies tell their mind what to do. Their body says, feed me. Their body says, I'm going to sleep now. Set me down. Stand me up. Walk over there. Look at this. Look at that. Okay? How many do not have control over their bodies, over their flesh. See, Paul says, Paul in in Galatians says, I mortify my flesh. You know what that means? I'm going to kill it if I have to. Here he's saying, I'm just going to beat it up. But if I've got to, I'll kill it. I know how to subdue the body. And it comes from a mental toughness to know the goal and stay to the goal. Subdue it. To subdue your body, it has to start with a mental desire. You're going to have to put out effort. There's a mindset. Paul is showing. Paul is saying. My mind is set. I know the track. I know where the goal is. I know exactly where I'm going. The negative is I will subject my body to get me to the place that I want to go. 
I master my body, not my body masters me. Paul says, I will not let the worldly desires overwhelm me. I will not let lust nor passion control me. I will not allow the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life be victorious. Whatever the spiritual battle might be that would rob me from my crown, I'm going to get my body into submission and make it my slave. That's what Paul's saying. Why? Look at the games. Look what he says here in verse 27. I buffet my body. I beat it up. I bruise it. My body. I make it my slave. Why? So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If you go to the Isthmian games and at the time of Paul's writing this letter, there, uh, the games would start, each event would start with a herald. And the herald would come out. This is not a bob. This is a herald. And he would come out and he would blow the trumpet to get everybody's attention. Why? I want to get your attention, everybody. And then he would announce the contest. He would lay out the rules of the event. And then he would give the names of all the participants in the contest. Anyone who violated the rules would be disqualified. Paul says, I would never want that to happen to me. Be the guy who gets out and heralds the rules and explains it all and have to sit on the bench because I disqualified myself. See, the apostle spreads the word. And what would happen to him if he disqualified himself? And you know what? You can disqualify yourself if you don't subdue your body. I've seen it. I've seen many start strong. And yet the flesh got away from them and they were disqualified. Okay? Remember we looked at this in Timothy. There are noble vessels and there are ignoble vessels. Both saved. Okay? Paul says, or yeah, Paul writing to Timothy says, you know what? There are people who will come in and quarrel with you. They'll argue with you. Pray that God brings them to repentance. And they would quit doing the work of the devil. You know that there are saints, saved people in the church today who are doing the work of Satan? You know why? Their body's got the best of them. Paul says, I don't want it to happen to me. I have the mental toughness to stay this course. I have the desire to subdue my body. And to this point, I'll even bruise it if I have to. Listen, Paul is saying, listen, you reckless, out-of-shape Corinthians. You think you can indulge your freedom to the hilt? This devoted apostle was engaged in a life of self-denial and self-control. Why? He was looking to gain entrance into the hearts of people for the gospel. He set for you and I today a model how we are to live. Evangelism doesn't just come. It isn't this doo-doo-doo. It comes to those who are ready to be used of God, who have a mindset that said the things of God right now are the single most important thing in my life, period. And they're so important to me that I'll bring my body into submission to me. Are we ready?
Are you ready to be used by God? To reach the lost, to strengthen the weak. All I know is that uh, in a time of thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, and give us this desire. Father, thank you for your word and the amazing things that you've shown me through it. And Lord, I just pray that your precious people heard from you today. That Lord, that we understand the race that is before each of us. Our races are all different. They all have a different impact. And yet, Father of glory, Father on high, you've prepared us. Father, let our heart's desire be that of self-denial. Father, out of that self-denial and the power of your spirit, may we have self-control. Father, may we even be willing to bruise our bodies to make them subject to us. To your praise, to your glory. And Father, I understand that this is fruit of your spirit. And may your people be a testimony of the life-changing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may their focus be that reaching their world, their community, their loved ones, their children, their parents, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To you, my King, and you alone, in Christ's name, amen.